Whether you're scrolling through social media on your phone or you're binge watching on your couch, you probably don't think you're affecting the environment. But all that data we use comes Do you remember any of those news stories from back in 2019 that said that streaming videos and music was one of the more environmentally unfriendly things that we do? But the energy it takes to stream and download digital music has caused greenhouse gas emissions from music listening to rise sharply. Watching a half an hour of Netflix was, we were told in one popularly quoted figure, about the same as going for a four-mile drive in a petrol or a diesel engine saloon car. But did you know that binging your favourite series on Netflix for close to an hour is equally harmful? If the half hour of Netflix equals four miles figure was true, then driving from Malinhead to Mizzenhead and back again wasn't as environmentally unfriendly as binge-watching all of The Office. Multiply that by 164 million hours of Netflix being streamed every day in 2019 and you see the size of the problem. We're told that it wasn't our penchant for sharing hilarious cat videos that was the problem, but the place that the videos were being stored. The ogres of the digital age, data centers, centers that run non-stop and need a steady stream of energy. Monster the large number of these centers in and around Dublin was creating huge demand for extra electricity. Around 600 gigawatts from data centers alone which is equivalent to the addition of 140,000 households to the power system each year. And because data centres were only as green as our electricity generation, which in Ireland's case still involves a lot of gas and coal, many thought that the increased demand would prevent us from reaching our Paris Agreement goals. I should know, I was one of the first to raise the issue. The energy-hungry multinational data centres are gobbling up available resources. All of this got something wrong, though. Yes, the data centres were energy hungry. Yes, they were creating challenges. They were increasingly talked about in the same context as energy blackouts. But it now turns out that much of the conversation around how much polluting they were doing was based, ironically, on incorrect data. I did a fact check in, in 2020 showing that an hour actually emits about 40 to 80 grams. So um, kind of in the order of 40 to 80 times lower than those those headlines. In fact, the spare energy generation capacity that many data centres have going a begging may be a part of the solution to the problem of our ageing national grid. And there's a role there for those companies, those um, data centres, to support larger and larger penetrations of renewable energy. And really intriguingly, in the longer term, data centres in Ireland could make an enormous contribution to global efforts to reduce carbon emissions. Between now and 2030, the technology will decarbonise society, transport, agriculture by up to 30%. I'm Philip Boucher Hayes, and this is Hot Mess, comparing our climate ambition to our climate action. Episode 10. Megabytes and megawatts. 
If we got the pollution bit about data centres wrong, what else might we be mistaken about? And how they can be more part of the solution than creator of the problem. Do the math and you'll find a Google search is equivalent to five to seven grams of carbon dioxide. An email weighs 20 grams of CO2. That person who CC'd another six grams. If you're prone to climate guilt, the rash of these kind of stories from two or three years ago did nothing for your anxiety levels. You'd produce as much CO2 as a 1,000 kilometer car ride. Add to that all the videos. Except it didn't all add up. George Camia, an analyst at the International Energy Agency, thought that the figures, which had come from an environmental lobby group, sounded a little bit off. It all adds up. Yeah, so those headlines were, were saying that an hour of streaming was responsible for like over three kilograms of greenhouse gas emissions. And um, I did a fact check in, in 2020 showing that an hour actually emits about 40 to 80 grams. So um, kind of in the order of 40 to 80 times lower than those, those headlines. So George, can you do the maths for me then, please? If streaming a half an hour of Netflix is not the same as driving four miles, how far is it the same as driving? Yes, it's going to be about 100 to 200 meters. So that's kind of the global average, and uh, the actual number will be lower or higher depending on where you live, and uh, most importantly, how your electricity is generated. So if you live in a country with a lot of coal-fired power, emissions could be you know, twice as high as that, but if you live in a, a country with low-carbon power, uh, like where I am in France uh, or Norway, uh, it could be equivalent of you know, driving 10 meters. So. Um, and, and, and these grids, uh, these electricity grids are also decarbonizing over time. So, you know, we talked about the energy efficiency improving uh, of internet infrastructure. But in Ireland, for example, the grid emits about half as much carbon as it did 20 years ago. So hopefully we'll, we'll see continued efficiency improvements over time, but also uh, lower carbon intensity of the electricity. Uh, and the other key factor is uh, what device you're using. So a large television uses about 100 times more electricity than a smartphone. So that's going to be your choice of, uh, of whether you watch on a large TV or a smartphone or a laptop actually has a, a big impact on your actual um, energy use and emissions. The thing is, though, we in media haven't been great at correcting this mistake, have we? The figure that I still see quoted most often if you do a Google search now is four miles and not 100 metres. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I haven't really tracked too closely, but I think it's it's um, generally hard to change the, the narrative of misinformation when um, it's kind of headline grabbing when you have these very high numbers and it kind of challenges conventional wisdom. A lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still lacing up its boots. Yeah, there's something called, I think, Brandolini's Law where, you know, it suggests that you need 10 times as much uh, factual information to debunk um, misinformation uh, once it's out there. One of the really interesting things here, though, is, yes, we're storing huge amounts, more data than we were 10 years ago. Yes, it is taking a lot of electricity, but the total global consumption of electricity by data centres hasn't really increased at all in the last decade. 
Yeah, that's right. So um, there was a study published in the journal Science um, in 2020 that showed five to six times increase in demand, but uh, only a 6% increase in energy use. So not only is computing hardware getting more efficient, but also we've seen a a huge shift from um, much smaller, kind of less efficient enterprise data centers uh, and these kind of workloads uh, migrating to the cloud and hyperscale data centers. Simply put, when you look at the hyperscale data centers circling Dublin, of course we all think they're massively energy hungry. How could they not be? Look at the size of them. And they are. But they are also, in fact, many, many times less polluting than all of us continuing to store our data under our desks or in a rack in the corner of the office. George Camier is looking at the global situation. He wasn't examining the unique predicament that Ireland has walked itself into. There are currently 70 data centres operating in Ireland, which is an increase of 25% compared to 2020. Most of these data centres are concentrated around Dublin, which has become the largest data centre hub in Europe, accounting for 25% of the overall European industry market share. A quarter of the European data storage market in the Dublin region. And as Maynooth Geography lecturer Patrick Bresnahan told in our Octus committee late last year, the potential energy demand from this one sector is unthinkable. Data centres currently represent 11% of grid capacity, but Airgrid estimates this will be 28% by 2030 based on existing connections. If all proposed data centre projects were connected, this figure could be as high as 70% of grid capacity by 2030. This is compared with 2% of electricity consumed by data centres worldwide. 70% of all of our electricity demand so that people all around Europe can stream Netflix, watch porn and share cat videos? What possible argument could be used to justify that? Smart devices, smart cities, smart thermostats. How do they get the smarts? How does a grid become smart? With data. Where does the data need to be? In a centre. Gary Connolly from Hosts Ireland is a spokesperson for all the data-related industries here. He doesn't dispute the electricity demand problems, but he is enthusiastic about sharing another set of numbers. The carbon savings that could result from storing and using data intelligently. The smart thermostat that most people now are installing. A Nest thermostat. What does it do? It gets to know the outside temperature, the inside temperature. It modulates it whether you're in or out, whether you're on holidays or not. So rather than a one temperature fits all, it learns. How does it learn? Data. AI. What's AI and data need to stay out of the rain? A centre. Smart thermostats are just one example of how digitalisation might lead to greater decarbonisation in one area of our lives. And there are, says Gary Connolly, many others that when you add them all up will lead to huge emissions savings. The World Economic Forum are estimating that between now and 2030, the technology will decarbonise society, transport, agriculture by up to 30%. So take a figure, any industry, like agriculture, for instance, yeah? You know there's a term doing the rounds that's called digital transformation. There's an industry that is being transformed. Manufacturing, energy, agriculture and transport. 
the tools that are being used by those sectors, which make up nearly 80% of the world's carbon emissions, the World Economic Forum are saying that with the use of the data, digital-driven tech, up to 30% of the reductions will just be the tech. I put that World Economic Forum figure to George Kemia at the International Energy Agency. He felt that it might be a bit overstated. But the point is one that is still worth considering. Data can do a lot more decarbonising than the carbon created to store it. So we got a lot wrong about data centres. But that is far from the whole picture. And there is an enormous negative that has just not made its way onto the agenda yet. Dark data. It's the inert content, I suppose. It's it's the data that we don't use in day-to-day processes, our activities around the world, that you and me as an ordinary person, or somebody in a hospital looking at an X-ray, or somebody in a financial services industry doesn't use. Dark data or unstructured data, is all the information that is routinely gathered and retained but never used again. Cookies from website that you only ever visit once, emails you'll never read again, former employee data, geolocation information, ancient financial statements. Dr Aoife Foley in the engineering department in Queen's University is something of an expert on this digital junk. So like a government organisation, they need to keep your medical records but they're keeping medical records of people who are dead as well. So that would be a type of dark data or unstructured data. It's inert content. In other words, it's never, ever going to be used again. Or it could be the photo that somebody takes in their WhatsApp, Snapchat or whatever, and they never look at it again. It's just a moment in time. Days later, it's inert. They're never going to need it again. That's really what unstructured or dark data is. Dr Foley estimates that it takes almost 60 square kilometres of data centres around the world to house all of this bric-a-brac. And dark data, as a percentage of all data stored, is truly breathtaking. Basically, dark data is about 54% of total worldwide data storage. That's what it's about. It's about a half of it. Over a half of what is stored in On the internet, yeah. will never be looked at again. Never be looked at again. Half of the data that they're gathering on you, that you get give that you get for free, have a free access to, or that free storage, that's ha, has an energy and a carbon footprint associated with it, um, a land and a water footprint as well. That really, it, it it it's costing the world really, in essence, sort of unbeknownst to itself, this free lunch for the consumer. Really, sort of, we need to look at that in a regulatory capacity. Data centres won't tell us or large corporations to do an obviously needed digital spring clean. That's not in their interests. But it's clear that a regular purge of your stored but unwanted cat videos or long-retired employee personnel files is as important a piece of climate action as cycling instead of driving or turning the heating down. There's another underreported problem with data centres, something that in time is going to make them even more unpopular than they already are. I'm in Poolbeg on the North Wall in Dublin, and very soon 
This is going to become the starting point for traffic chaos stretching right the way across the city that's going to be on a par with the Lewis Works from a couple of years ago. Why? I'll tell you after the break. In the next few years, a large part of Dublin is going to have to be dug up to install new high-capacity electricity cables. Some of this would have had to happen because of old age, but some of it is down solely to the energy demands of the data centres. Right now, I'm on Dublin's north wall at Poolbeg, and there's one cable in particular that runs from here northwest across some of the busiest parts of the city to Finglas. Now, in the normal course of events, that would have been fine, but because of the need to get offshore wind from the Kish Bank behind me out to sea here up to the data centres around the M50, that cable, which runs right the way through the North City Centre, is going to have to be dug up and replaced, and it is one of many. The proposals for offshore wind in the kind of off Bray and on north of Hoth are also going to require cables to Carrick Mines, to Arklaw, uh, to Balgriffin and North Dublin, you know, to somewhere between in Louth. Uh, but that's doable reasonably. Uh, it's coming through the centre of the city is going to be very difficult. Jerry Duggan from the Irish Academy of Engineering. The Academy, an independent think tank, has identified a number of ways in which data centres are placing added financial burden on the national grid. The Irish Academy of Engineering calculated back in 2019 that uh, it would require an additional six billion investment in renewable energy just because of data centres. And that was based on the assumption that was 70% renewable target. If you go to the target 80%, you actually have to substantially increase in the amount of wind generation investment because there's a lot more time when you can't actually use the wind. Over the past two years, AWS has signed power purchase agreements for three wind farms and one solar farm. Together, these projects will generate more than 1.6 million megawatt hours of additional renewable energy annually. The data centres have been keen to promote the occasions when they have agreed to purchase electricity generated by wind farms. Their contribution to getting more renewables onto the grid, they say. Investing in this wind farm along with our new data centre region for delivering the AWS cloud shows Amazon's long-term commitment to it. But the Academy of Engineering says that all of these corporate power purchase deals don't really make that big a contribution to greening the extra demand that the data centers have created in the first place. Example of how AWS is working to meet its commitment to sustainability. That would account for only 8% of the renewable electricity requirements that data centers are going to create. They will have created all of this extra demand and are only making limited contribution to funding new renewable capacity. Add to that then the nearly non-existent contribution they're making to the cost of all of those new cables and many miles of roadworks needed to get power to the data centres. Effectively, a significant portion of the grid reinforcement is being driven by data centre demand and the data centre demand could disappear very quickly. So the original model that ESB used to operate whereby major customers contribute upfront to grid reinforcement costs is actually appropriate. In this case. 
it would be appropriate that they pay up front for the infrastructure that their businesses demand because it is in the main being built for them. They do pay for their infrastructure. It's a small portion of their electricity bills. But the payback period for that is so long, 50 years or more, that there's little guarantee that the data centres will still actually be here to make good on the debt. And in the meantime, the increased electricity demand of data centres will almost certainly knock Ireland off target in meeting its Paris Agreement climate goals. Some of the tech companies are not blind to the public image problem this has created for them. In the background, they are saying that they want to find some way to become good grid citizens. I approached the hyperscale data centres like Amazon and Google through their representative body in IBEC to see what a good grid citizen is in the real world. They declined to be interviewed. In case they were shy, I also sent them a list of questions to which they could provide written answers, but they didn't reply to that. So if good grid citizen does actually mean anything at all, it's not something that they're eager to discuss in public. If they are sincere about addressing some of the problems that giving so many data centres permission to do business here have caused, what might they do? Here are five suggestions that don't involve the nuclear option of banishing any future data centres to other countries. 1. Data centres have built in their own backup electricity supply, typically diesel generators. Energy expert Eva Foley in Queen's University, among others, suggests that those generators could be called on at times of high demand to supply power back to the grid. We really need to look at using the backup generation that they have in um, some of these data centres to supply ancillary services to the grid and then that will stop us having to use fast-acting peaking plant to come online for a few milliseconds to make sure that the grid is balanced, to maintain power supply quality levels. And there's a role there for those companies, those um, data centres, to support larger and larger penetrations of renewable energy. Two, in the future, we could make it a condition of planning permission that data centres agree to effectively fund the building of wind farms by purchasing their power output for 30 years. I mean, what you're talking about is the data centres signing contracts with wind farms that they will take their total output. And effectively, the funding is indirectly being provided by the data centre. George Camia at the International Energy Agency says that Ireland doesn't really have any other countries to look to for best practice because the situation that we've placed ourselves in is somewhat unique. But suggestion number three is confining certain data centre activities to times of day when electricity supply is plentiful. Data centres in Europe could actually offer quite a lot of flexibility for the grid. Um, over the next decade, and especially uh, with high potential in Ireland. You know, if you think of shifting some data center workloads that may be less uh, less urgent uh, to when uh, there's a lot of wind generation on the grid, um, that could be a, a good way to both reduce emissions uh, from the data center, but also providing this, this service uh, to the grid. In grossly simplified terms, the energy regulator could tell data centres there will be no streaming videos of cats crawling up curtains if the wind isn't blowing hard outside. Four is build them in parts of the country where there is an energy surplus, not in Dublin. 
And five is the proposal from the Academy of Engineering to make sure that they pay for upgrading the grid by getting an upfront contribution. All these assets are regulated and effectively they get a return over a 50-year period. Now, if you're connected to something that's a much harder sign cycle, you want to be sure that you're getting your money back. And at the moment, the mechanisms aren't there to do that. This last suggestion would have the added benefit of getting more renewable energy onto the grid. Five measures that could be taken that would allow Ireland to continue to profit from an industry of the future without having to shoulder an enormous environmental burden. Again, I asked Amazon, Google and Microsoft did they want to contribute to this dialogue, but they declined. There's a tricky balancing act to perform here. It was foreign multinationals, principally tech and pharma, that dragged the Irish economy out of the Great Recession seven or eight years ago. They make a massive contribution to the Exchequer, without which our schools and hospitals would be a lot worse funded. But allowing for so many data centres to locate here simultaneously to give us competitive edge has dealt a body blow to the most important challenge that this generation will ever face, taking carbon dioxide out of the way that we run our lives. There's plenty that the regulators and the planners can do, according to the experts, but the signal needs to come from the top that they should. If you found this programme interesting, you may like to listen to some of the others in the series which are available for download wherever you get your podcasts. The reasons nuclear power is and isn't an option for Ireland and a route to net zero for Irish farming. Thank you for listening.